Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by guest speaker, Dr. Jeremy Graves. Enjoy. Hey, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, I am excited to get an opportunity to share with our sister church and friends. Um, But can we start just this morning just in a moment of just prayer? Let's just invite the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's already here working. The worship was amazing. But let's just invite the Holy Spirit to posture us as we think about this idea of who am I. So, Lord, we just stop. We take a breath today. We breathe you in. We breathe out the stuff of the week. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move. What you want to say today, Lord, may that be on the forefront of my lips, but may our ears be attentive to what your Spirit is speaking to us. So Lord, we surrender this morning to you. Would you have your way in our hearts and in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I know that uh, having kids in can, all, can be super fun. So kids, I got lots of pictures for you today because I'm basically a storyteller. So I'm just going to tell some stories today. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a challenge to the kids and to our youth this morning. I believe that there is no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. Amen. I think that we all have the same Holy Spirit at work in us. And so this morning, kids, as we're going through this message, if the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you for part of ministry time, I want you to step into that today. Because I have actually had more words that have rocked my world from kids under 15 than all the adults combined that have prayed over me. So this morning, I, I want to just give you that challenge as we, uh, as we jump into this message. So I uh, was asked to talk about who am I. It's part of the, the series that you're in. And I started thinking about it this morning. Have you ever, have you ever talked to someone and listen to them talk about their week and just been exhausted after you listen to them talk. So I met this mother um, at one of the classes that I was teaching, and she began to tell me about her week. She said, my husband and I both work full-time, so we have two full-time jobs, and we have two kids. We have a nine-year-old and a 15-year-old. My nine-year-old daughter is in dance, and she is in soccer, so she has practices throughout the week. My 15-year-old son plays soccer and football. And so he has practice every other night of the week. And then the weekend happens. And then when the weekend happens, dad and I have to divide and conquer because we're at different fields and we have to go through all of that. And then she said, and my son, he's actually trying out for a a competitive travel team, which means I won't just be at a field in Boise, I'll be at a field in Oregon, Washington, Colorado, Nevada. And she said, and we do that all weekend. And then Sunday night... Sunday night, I go to the grocery store, and I get ready to do it all over again the next week. And I literally looked at her, and I was like, that makes me tired. I mean, that literally makes me tired just to think about the pace that you hold yourself to on a weekly basis. And we're in that time of year again now, right, as we get back into school and we get back into the grind with early mornings and late nights and homework and carpools and practices and coaching and recitals and work responsibilities and dinners and sleepovers and project deadlines, and it just becomes more and more exhausting. And I believe that one of the reasons we fill our calendars is because we are trying to figure out who we are. And we hope that if I do enough things, if I have enough accomplishments, if I, if I have enough, the right tagline on my email, then all of a sudden I will feel good about myself. But when we're quiet, when we're all alone, when we're in that space where we just think, is that all there is? This question of who am I begins to resonate in us. And it slowly emerges. 
So I thought this morning I would try to answer this question in a couple different ways. First, I'd try to answer, who am I just personally as a child of God? And then secondly, I thought I would try to answer it in a way that maybe would encourage and challenge some of you because I work eight to five in a business community. And so what does it look like to live out the who am I in a business community? And then third, I thought we are part of, I'm part of a ministry team that's doing ministry really differently. And, and we have been wrestling with who am I as well. And so I thought I would try to answer it in those three contexts. But I want to give you a hint at the very end of this. I'm going to ask you, who are you? I'm going to ask you to kind of wrestle with this with me, because if I had to do it for the last two weeks, you have to do it this morning as well. So I think when we stop and we think about this, I think it's all rooted in this passage in Genesis. So in Genesis 1, 27, I think this is where it all begins for us, right? This is this idea that God created Right out of the gate, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And I think most of us deep inside, we answer that question. We understand that question of, yes, I know that I'm made in the image of God, but what does an image bearer look like in 2022? What does an image bearer look like in a world that is deeply divided and deeply broken? What does an image bearer look like? Someone who takes on the image of God and says, you know what, I want to extend the kingdom into this place. I want to extend the kingdom into this place. I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus here. What does it look like in 2022? You see, I think for us to begin this process of really understanding it, we have to understand that who am I is actually rooted in the I am. That's where it all begins. That's where it all begins. It all begins in that space right there that we actually recognize that I can do nothing apart from who Christ is in me and what he's doing within me. That's the power source that allows us to go do these things that God calls us to do. But it has to start there. Too many times we flip it and we get it backwards. And we say, well, what I'm doing for Jesus then allows me to be rooted in him. No, no, it's not that way. We start with a rootedness. We start with the fact, you ready for this, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. You know what it took me to learn that lesson? It took a counseling center and $20,000 to learn that my identity was actually not who, what I did. It wasn't that I was all these things. Now, don't get me wrong. I am a husband to a beautiful woman named Stephanie. I am a father to two amazing boys, Jordan and Taylor. I am a professor at Boise State University, but none of those things are who I am. They are what I do. And when we get that backwards, and we forget that first and foremost, we are simply sons and daughters of the Most High. That's where it all begins. So who I am is rooted in the I am. It has to start there. Now, what I love about the Bible, in all honesty, is that Jesus modeled all of this stuff. So we read the Old Testament, and we read that we're created in the image of God, and we go, okay, that's great, but what does it look like? Well, along comes Jesus. God was so perfect because he basically said, this is Jesus, God in a bod, that's what I say, right? God in a bod, and he says, this is the example for you. Now, what I love about the, the, the New Testament is that Jesus tells these stories, and he takes his disciples on these journeys. And in John chapter 14, if you want to make your way there, we're going to be in John chapter 14 and Matthew 25. This is we're going to kind of camp out today. In John chapter 14, the context is here Jesus is, and he's talking about how he's the way to the Father, right? Now, I, I, sometimes I just have to think, Jesus must have been frustrated at times with the disciples, Right? Because, because he spends all this time investing in them. I mean, they have meals together. They sit around tables. They, they watch him heal people. They watch him do these things. And then they ask questions like, well, if you would just show us the Father, we'll believe you. And he's like, hold on just a second. Time out. I've been standing right here this whole time. I've, I've been right here this whole time. So in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking about how he's the way to the Father. And, and, um, Thomas said, 
well, we don't really know where we're going. We have no idea where we're going, is what he says in, in, in verse five. And so Jesus begins to talk to him about, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then we get, we get verse nine. If you look at John 14, verse nine, this is Philip saying, if you'll just show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied this way. He said, have I been with you all this time, Philip? Yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Now, I have to say I really love that Jesus is a person who kind of says, Philip, I'm right here. I'm, I'm right here, and I, why are you asking? I'm I literally standing right in front of me. But I, I think that it's a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be rooted in I am. Jesus modeled for us what it looked like to walk out simply being obedient to the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I, I'm just an extension of the kingdom of God right here in your midst. And I believe that what Jesus was challenging these disciples to think about is the same thing that he challenges us to think about. And that is, as you live out your life, what are you passionate about? What is it that, that wakes you up in the middle of the night and you go, I got to get involved with that, or I can't let this just continue to go by. I can't just let this continue to go on because we become an expression of the kingdom when we recognize that we're rooted in I am. But the beautiful thing is, is that God created us with these passions that are all different. If everybody thought exactly like me, besides the fact that the world would be perfect, I'm just kidding. If everybody thought exactly like me, this place would be boring, right? The beautiful imagery of the kingdom comes through when these different expressions, these different passions begin to emerge within us. You see, God the Father created us with these personalities and these differences that make the kingdom of heaven actually beautiful. It's so beautiful because not everybody is focused on the same thing. People have passions that begin to emerge. And so when I think about this, who I am comes to life in my passions. So let me ask you this question. Where has your heart been captured? If your heart hasn't been captured, go for a walk with Jesus. Just put everything else away, turn the, the music off, take the earbud, earbuds out, and just go for a walk with Jesus. And say, Jesus, capture my heart. What is it that moves your heart? Because I want it to move my heart. You see, Jesus says to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm an extension of the kingdom of heaven. And he says to us, go be extensions of the kingdom of heaven. Who I am comes to life in my passions, in the way that God has wired me. So I started to think about it in what I do. So I work at Boise State, and uh, I wear two different hats at the university. Uh, I direct a department at the university, and I'm a professor. I teach in... Uh, the School of Public Service, and in the Community Impact Program. And I started to think, what does it look like for me? Who am I as I step onto a campus? What does it look like for me as I engage with that community around me? And I started to realize I think there are three things that are really important. And maybe these can become important for you as you go to work tomorrow and as you think about your colleagues and folks about how we live out this who am I in the places that we work in. For me, I think it's really important to know somebody's name. I think it's a small thing, but I think it's a very honoring thing to know somebody's name. So I work really hard at knowing all of my students' names. When they walk in the room, I try to greet them by their name. It's a small thing, but it's a huge thing to them. The number of students who have said to me at the end of a semester, you are one of very few professors who actually knew my name. See, if I carry that out, Jesus knows all about me and still loves and accepts me. And for them, starting with knowing their name is the first part of just who, who am I as I walk that out on a campus. But I think it's more than a name because I think getting to know someone's story is also just as important. What is it that makes them tick? So I do an activity the very first day of all my classes called the Human Billboard 
or I give them a piece of paper and I make them tell their story just using artwork. Super fun. I thought about doing it this morning, but then I thought, I don't know how that would go over. <clears throat> but then they interact with each other and they tell their stories, right? And all I do is just wander around the room and listen. Just listen to them tell their stories. And I start to look for places where we can connect what we're talking about in our class to some, somewhere that they've grown up or something that they've done or an experience they had because we all know that our passions come to life through our stories because our stories are the things that shape us. But let's be honest about something when we talk about stories. Sometimes those stories are pretty painful. They're hard to relive we spend a lot of time trying to push those things down and pretend that those things don't exist. And that's where we need God to help reframe those stories. That's where we need to take the long road with people and just spend time with them. Knowing that their story, yes, it shaped how they see the world, but that story then allows them to, to have a, a voice and to know that they're heard, because I think the third thing that's really important, not just a name and not just a story, but it's recognizing that they're an individual. My hope is that every person who comes in contact with me, whether it be on the campus, the people that are part of our team at the university, the people that we minister to on, on Sundays and throughout the week, that they walk away going, that person not just knows my name and knows my story, but treats me as an individual. And you know what that takes in this day and age? Boy, it takes putting your cell phone down. It takes being present in the moment. Boy, it's, it's hard work. It's not easy to do that. But when we walk that out, when we actually extend the kingdom through knowing somebody's name, knowing somebody's story, and helping them be the best version of themselves by simply challenging them to, to step into who that they are created to be and to be an individual, an amazing thing starts to happen. You see, as we begin to do that, people begin to ask questions. Tell me more. Tell me more. Like, why, why do you care about me? Why would you... Why would you do that? Why would you go outside of yourself? And it's an opportunity to extend the kingdom and to tell the story of who Jesus is. One of the things that I love to do at the end of a semester is I handwrite cards to every one of my students. Now, some semesters, that's easier than others with the amount of students I have. And you know what I learned? You can't write in cursive. They can't read it. The number of students who are like, this is a great card, what does it say? <laughs> right? So I realized I can't write in cursive, which even makes it harder for me because then I have to actually really concentrate on writing. But I write them a card, and it's very simple. It's very small. It just basically is, this is what I've experienced over this semester. This is where I've seen you grow. Here's where your, your uh, leadership is, is shining through, and keep going. A small thing like that helps them recognize that they're an individual, and it all comes from the lens that I see the world through. So this is my lens. It's going to be different for you, but this is my lens. But I realized something just recently that my lens, the, the way that I see the world, is the clarity in which I respond to others. So it finally happened. I had to actually get these. <laughs> right? I'm not just trying to be like Trevor. I, I actually had to get them. And it actually came, my brother-in-law came over and he had a pair and I was joking with him and I grabbed him from him and I put him on and I said, oh, that's what that's supposed to look like. <laughs> and he picked up on that and for Christmas, I got a whole bunch of them. <laughs> I got a whole bunch of them that year. But I started to realize something about clarity. Our clarity is shaped through these different experiences. And so for me, a lot of my clarity has come through books that I have read. Um, I went to a graduate university that was very much focused on community and engaging in the community. One of my professors wrote a book called The Least of These, Lessons Learned from the Kids of the Street. He had a ministry in Seattle. And it was his story of just what he did with street kids and the lessons that they taught him on that journey. I had another professor who wrote a book called Reading the Bible with the Damned. And it was about going into prisons 
and reading the scripture in, in prisons with prisoners and hearing their stories and letting those things start to come to life in who they are. I, I, I came across this book several years ago called Under the Overpass, which was a journey of, of people trying to find faith and trying to find Jesus, and they left the church to look for it. They went out into the community in the streets, and they said, where do I see Jesus? And they began to tell that story. I had the opportunity to work uh, with a housing agency, and I, uh, I, I came across this book called Evicted, which talks about what's going on with the housing crisis in the United States. And this book is almost 10 years old, so just imagine how that has continued to just um, move and merge and then I read this book. It messed me up. It just messed me up. It's called Out of the Fourth Place. And it's about how do we actually take church outside the walls of the church? What does it look like to do that? And so this journey for me is shaped by all these books that I've read, all these experiences that I've had. And then that coupled with, well, this passage in Matthew 25. So if you have your Bibles and want to turn there, Matthew 25, this passage has wrecked me. And for me, it's become the piece of this is, this is how we, not just individually, but as a team of people, this is how we are responding to who God has called us to be. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31, says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come to me who are blessed by my father to inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we actually see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or be naked and clothe you? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Let's stop right there just for a second. This, this, this story that Jesus tells his disciples is about loving the people right in front of them engaging with the people right in front of them. And he says, when you were loving the people right in front of you, you, are, you were loving me. So when I was hungry, you fed me. That person that was right in front of you, you gave them a meal. You were feeding me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. You welcomed me into your home. Understand that in that day and age, what you were saying to your neighbors was, I trust this person, so should you. I invite them into my home. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And their response, I love their response, was when? when? When did we actually do those things? When did we actually connect with you and see you? And he says it this way. And, and as, as they wrestled through this, I think this is what, what it was. They were so busy simply being like Jesus Simply being the person that Jesus had created them to be, they didn't even realize they were acting like Jesus. They were just simply loving the person that was right in front of them. This group was simply just being the person that Jesus had created them to be, loving the person that was right in front of him. And he goes on to say, though, the king will turn to those on his left and say, away with you who are cursed ones into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And they'll say, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And they'll say to you, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. Just let that sink in for a second. The people that were right in front of them. It seems to me that there was a group that Jesus is comparing that wanted to look religious. They wanted to be seen as people who had it all together, but they were so consumed with the status quo, or can I say it, they were so consumed with church that they missed the very people in need. Now, let me just say that I'm not preaching at anybody here. This is me. This is our journey. Because we were so consumed with doing church the way that church had always been done that we actually missed the very people that Jesus said, uh, they're right here. 
Hello there, right here. We were so consumed with the model. The model had to look a certain way. The model had to be a, a, a certain way. And here, all of the sudden, Jesus issues this challenge to this group that don't walk past the people that are right in front of you. Because when you do that, you miss the very people who are in need. Now, let me just tell you this. It's inconvenient sometimes. It's extremely messy. It's just hard. It's, it's, it, it's uh, uncomfortable at times. And for some, the model of what God was doing in us didn't fit their model of church or their theology of church. And so I shared this with a group recently about what we have done as a church and how we have changed and morphed. And you know what was really interesting was that uh, I told them this is not a church growth strategy. <laughs> this is a church shrink strategy. I can help you shrink your church. I don't know that I can help grow your church. But this movement, this vineyard movement that we're a part of, it actually was birthed on this idea of loving the people that the world often overlooks. And so I want to take you on our journey of what River Hills, that is no longer River Hills, but in the same way, but what it looks like. River Hills Vineyard Church was established in 2019. We actually uh, got together in a, uh, in, the, in a community center in our neighborhood and just started praying in October. We just started asking God, what does this look like? And in October, we met at a community center. In November, we met at a pizza shop. And in December, we met at a library. And in January of 2020, keep that in mind, January 2020, perfect time to plant a church. 2020. We had our first gatherings. We had eight Sundays at Riverside Elementary School. And it was cool. God was doing great things. And those of you that have been around the vineyards, you know that a lot of vineyards start in school. So it was very, it was very much like, yep, this is what, what God's doing. Now, I will tell you, there was a lot of snow and a lot of rain those Sundays in January and February, probably more snow and rain than we've had in a long time. But then I remember it was serve Sunday. So every quarter we had made a decision that we were actually going to gather and serve. And it was our first serve Sunday as a church. It was March 13th. We cleaned up the school. We had just finished. We were gathering literally to pray over the school and to take a picture. And all of a sudden people's phones started going off. And it was school's been canceled. No school until after spring break. Then it turned into no school for the rest of the year. Now, remember, our church met in a school. And at that moment, I realized everything was about to change for us. And for the next 27 weeks as a church, this is what church looked like for me, right there. From my loft, I got really good at talking to a camera. And for 27 weeks, that's what it looked like for us because we did not have a place to meet. The school was no longer an option. And so we began to pray and say, God, what does this journey look like for us? And wouldn't you know, God, who always answers prayers, but maybe not in the ways that we think, moved us into, you ready for this? Batting cages. Yes, batting cages. We would go in on Saturday nights. We would clear all the nets out of the way. We would set up on green turf. Green turf is what it looked like. This is what our church ended up looking like uh, on Sunday mornings there at, at, the, at, the, at the space. But we literally made it a church. And you know, it was great, but it was cold. There was not really any heat, so it was really cold in the mornings. And then when it started to get hot, it was really hot, right? So it was really cold and really hot. So you can use those analogies so many times in sermons before people go, yeah, okay, get over it, right? But in that space, God began to do something in us. God began to do something in us because this gathering together, it was really hard. We, had to, we would go in Saturday nights, we would set up after they closed, and then we would come in Sunday mornings and have church. But here's the thing. We had to tell the Holy Spirit, you have to be done by noon, Holy Spirit, <laughs> because people are gonna come in and hit balls, and they don't care that you're moving, Holy Spirit, so you got till noon, which is, I don't know if you've ever tried to tell the Holy Spirit that he's got a box. It doesn't work that great, but, but we tried. We tried to, to do that, and it, it, was an, it was great because no one would see, from where I was standing, I could see the door, and I would watch people walk in with their baseball bats and be like, what is that? And back out, right? Because they didn't know that there was a church meeting there. So we began to pray and say, God, what does the future look like for us? And what it looked like was... It looked like a convention center in East Boise. 
It was a rundown, abandoned convention center in East Boise. And yes, if you look at the bottom of that picture, you will also see that we share a building with a Hindu temple. Yes, a Hindu temple. Now, one of the stories that I don't have time to tell you is that I took over a church in Georgia from a pastor who moved to India, and over the 13 years prior to landing where we landed, I traveled to India 18 times and have worked with the Hindu population for many, many years. And God's like, hey, you know that whole journey I took you on? It was for now. It was for right now. I'm going to plant you literally. So we had to put on our website, hey, if you're visiting us today, don't turn left because you'll go to the Hindu temple. Turn right because that's where the vineyard is, right? So we set up church and we did church like normal. And we all thought, if you build it, they will come. That's what we thought, right? We thought, we'll do church like normal. We'll, we'll have some music. I'll preach a sermon. We have a space now. We can leave our chairs set up. That was, for us was huge. The first Sunday, we could just close the door, right? Like we didn't have to set up and tear down. But there we were. And as we, uh, as we experienced this, we noticed something. All people would come but that was it. They would come, and they would sit, and they would enjoy a church service, and then they would go. But God placed us in this place. So if you know where the Ramada is on I-84 and Vista, there are two hotels right next to it. There's a hotel called the Lotus, and there's a hotel called America's Best Value. And both of those hotels, people can rent rooms by the month. And so I started to realize, and we started to talk as a team, Maybe that's why we're here. Maybe it's not about a space where if you build it, people will come. Maybe it's about the people who are already there. So we just did something really profound. You ready? We just took coffee and we just started talking. We just started getting to know their names. We started to hear their stories. Sound familiar? We started to, to recognize them as individuals. And I'll tell you what, those are some hard stories to hear. Seven and eight people living in a hotel room with every earthly possession that they have in that hotel room. Seven and eight people living there. And we started to hear some things. We started to hear about housing insecurity, of course, but we also started to hear about food insecurity because if you think about it for a second, you are there in a hotel room. If you have a hot plate that you brought, that's what you can cook on. And if you have food, you have a mini fridge to store it in. So we started to pray as a group. And we started doing these community dinners. Now, the community dinners, when we first started them, it was once a month. And our church was kind of into it. They liked it. And then we started to sense that maybe we need to do this more often because food insecurity was such a big deal. And so we started talking about it more and more and more. And it morphed into, we're going to do this every Sunday night. Now, when we shared that with the church, this is the church growth chart I'm telling you about. When we shared that with the church, there was excitement, and then most of them never came back. <laughs> it's true. It was, it, I had to work through all of that. I teach leadership at a university. I thought, I must be a really bad leader. I can't convince anybody to come and do this, but I started to realize that this is about something that God is doing and that we have different things that God births in us, and that that wasn't everybody's cup of tea, and that's Okay. And so our church went from this small group of people to a very small group of people. But then God started to do something. We changed the name to the neighborhood table. And every Sunday at five o'clock, we have a meal. And we gather around three things. If you could see that sign in the middle, it says that we gather around food we gather around friendship, and we gather around Jesus. And that's what we do. Now, here's the crazy thing. We had these people who were a part of the ministry. They were a part of what we were doing. When we started doing this, we didn't sing enough songs about Jesus. I didn't preach long enough, and people started to leave. But you know what God did? He started to fill in the gaps with all of these people to where, if you look at that picture right there, you see these tables full of people most of them are far from Jesus. Yes, that's the place 
that we get to use this expression of who we are as a church, this team of people that God has brought together who are just, we're trying to figure it out and it doesn't always make sense and sometimes it's really messy. And, and by the way, we have a room up there that the air conditioner works sometimes. You know what it's like when it's 106 outside? It was 85 in our room last week, 85 sweating just there among our friends having dinner together. And we sit around the tables and we, we get to know people and we hear their stories and we get to do things like this. That's my friend Stacy and we threw Stacy his 61st birthday party. We got to celebrate him. We got to, we got to pray for him and just step into his world and say, Stacy, we're glad that you're a part of our community. If you would have seen the tears in his eyes as we sang happy birthday to him. A very simple thing, but yet a profound thing. We also throw baby showers for new mothers, and we get the opportunity to connect with new mothers and be a support system and walk with these young new mothers as they take this new journey. And then we also get to throw birthday parties for princesses. Yes, just last week, we got to throw a party for an eight-year-old. And in all of it, I started to realize that this is just about what God does in us. You see, who we are will come out of what Christ is actually doing in us. That's why when Jesus said you love the person that was right in front of you, it's because you remember what Christ has done in you. You remember what Christ is doing in you. And you know, it's messy. It's inconvenient, it's hot, it's, it's, it's hard. The stories that we hear every week are heartbreaking. They literally are, they're just, they're heartbreaking, they're heart-wrenching. We, we, we uh, pray for folks that are in tough places, we celebrate when people get houses, we celebrate that they're leaving our dinner because they're getting a house. We, we, we cry with those who have lost their housing and are sleeping in their cars. And every time we get together, something happens. Miracles upon miracles upon miracles happen. And sometimes they're, they're, they're miracles like that you read in the Bible. Like we had enough pizza for our pizza and movie night for 50 people. And we fed 62 people. And I, my sister-in-law kept going like, Where's the, why does the pizza keep going? And I'm like, that's what God does. You put yourself in a position and you just watch what God does. You just put yourself in the position and watch what God does. It doesn't have to be anything crazy and amazing. It's just literally putting yourself in that position. And I'm more and more and more convinced that who we are will always come out of what Christ is doing in us. You know, Wimber used to say it like this. God will do in us what he wants to do through us to the world around us. It's simple but yet really profound. God will do in us what he wants to do through us to the world around us. So for us, this, this team of people, and you know what's great about it is Mitchell introduced me as the pastor. It's not really true. I'm just a part of the team. I'm just a part of a team of people who are just saying, God, we just want to show up and love the people that are right in front of us. And I'll tell you, it's a pretty small team, but that's okay. God had 12, or Jesus had 12. We got six, so Jesus filling the gaps, right? That's what we say. But all of it comes out of this, and I wanna end with this, and I wanna issue you this challenge. All of it comes out of this. I recognize that I am a forgiven forgiver. I recognize what God has done in my life. I recognize what I've been forgiven of. So when I experience that forgiveness, then it's the natural extension of the kingdom of God just to hand that to somebody else and say, You're, you also can be forgiven. Your sins can be set free. But I'm not just a forgiven forgiver. I'm also an accepted acceptor. Christ took the long road with me. Oh, I can tell you my story and all the things that happened within my life and how God has taken the long road with me, but I'm an accepted acceptor. And so because I've been accepted, we turn around and we say, you're accepted too. You're welcome here. I'll tell you something. You know what's crazy? We hug more people now than we've ever hugged in the past. Because for many people, it's the only touch that they get on a weekly basis. It's just a hug. 
It's, a, it's, just a, it's a hug, but it's, it says something that you're valued, that you're important, that, that we're glad that you are a part of what we're doing, that you're accepted. But I'm not just an accepted acceptor, I'm also a healed healer. I get the opportunity, we get the opportunity to pray with people and to, to hear their stories and to step into that space with them. We get the opportunity to go on those journeys with them because we ourselves have experienced healing. Guys, don't forget what Christ healed you from, the things that Christ changed in your life, the, the, the way that you used to be, but now, as Paul says, but now. I'm not just a healed healer, though. I'm also a loved lover right? God grabs a hold of our heart and then we get to extend that love to other. But because of the fact that I've experienced his love, we get to extend that love to others. So here's the question for you this morning. Who are you? You see, I, I was thinking this uh, last couple weeks since I was asked to come and share, I was thinking this last couple weeks about how God paints these pictures. Sometimes he uses books and experiences and stories and other things, but that God is this master artist who paints these pictures in our lives of who we are. And when we step into those pictures, we go on this journey with God. And I think for some of you this morning, your heart is starting to be reminded of the journey that you started with God many years ago. For some of you this morning, God is beginning to paint a picture of what he's calling you to look like. Not everybody is going to be the, the same person who does the same thing. But you all have people in your lives. Every single one of you have people in your lives who there's not an accident that they're there. So who are you? as you step into that space. I think this morning that God wants to help reveal that in some of you. That in some of you this morning, God is literally saying, I'm capturing your heart for this thing, or I'm moving you into this space, and I wanna challenge you to step into that this morning, whatever that looks like for you to step into that space of who God is revealing you to be. This morning, the ministry team prayed and they got some words and we're just gonna spend some time uh, praying with and for one another. But some words this morning, um, one word was that there is a lung condition with fluid. If that's you this morning, there's groups of people that would love to, to pray with you. There's uh, specifically a word here for a woman with congestive heart failure. If that's you this morning. Step into that space. Maybe someone with severe pain in the left foot, the bones, they're broken or stressed or cracked. And then I love this, Isaiah 30, 21, you can't afford to walk without him. And I think for some this morning, God is revealing to you who you are. And it's gonna come out through your passions. It's gonna come out through the people that are right in front of you that you simply just get the opportunity to love. And so would you stand with me and would you just close your eyes and, the, and just, we're just gonna let the, the, the Spirit of God just begin to minister to you. Holy Spirit, you are such an amazing artist. And you paint these pictures for us and for some even right now, there are pictures that are being painted. There are dots that are being connected so Spirit of God, continue that work in the lives of people in this space. Jesus, continue the work in the lives of people in this space that you are ministering to. Remember I said young, young people, if any of you have anything that you feel like God is, is wanting you to share, I'm gonna ask you to be bold and step out and come up and, and let's, let's if, if that's you this morning, if God has given you anything, as the worship team can just continues to, to, to minister, if you've got something, there is no junior Holy Spirit. There is an opportunity here for God to use you because you are a part of the family. So ministry team, if you all would come and just if anybody has needs and you would like to come, we would love to pray with you We'll let the worship team just worship and uh, sing over us for a couple minutes and then we'll wrap up our time together.
Jesus, thank you that you, your spirit is alive and active. Thank you that you are a God who's running towards us. And for some of you this morning, I was just sensing you need to be reminded of something. First, God knows your name. You may have come here today and feel like I don't really know if I fit in. I think I'm far away. God knows your name. Secondly, God knows your story. God knows those things that have happened, and I, I say this all the time because of my own story and others that I've met, that God never wastes a hurt. So those things that we have been through, they shape us, yes, but they also give us hearts for others. So God knows your name, God knows your story, and God is deeply in love with you. He's deeply in love with you. So receive the love of a father towards his son and his daughter because who am I is rooted in I am. So Lord, thank you that that's where it all begins, that we are sons and daughters, and that out of that, everything else comes. So Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time that we had to be together today. Thank you for the passions that you're stirring in us. Thank you for the stories that are emerging in our hearts and in our lives and the pictures that you're giving us. And may we step into who you've called us to be as we step out the walls of this building into the world around us. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, go do, go do what you guys talk about. Make the invisible God visible. Go do that this week and come back and tell the stories of what God is doing because that's how our faith is built. God bless you. Thanks for letting me share with you today. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.